Welcome to Lecture 4 of the Building Resilience in the Digital Age. My name is Dr. Jonathan Mach, and today, in this podcast, I will describe briefly my 40-year journey in understanding the brain, its contents and its malcontents. As an undergraduate at Witts Medical School, I held six brains in my hand. On one occasion, the late great professor, Philip Tobias, asked me to pick up a scalpel and cut gently through the brain substance. It was one of the easiest things that I could do, but it had a profound effect on my future. For I said to myself that this scalpel can cut through a cheese-like substance that holds our thoughts, our emotions, our motivations, our ability to walk and to talk and to listen and to smell. A few years later, when I decided to study psychiatry as a future career, I came across hundreds and hundreds of different types of diseases, not only psychiatrists uh, affected, but also what the neurologists see, tumors, multiple sclerosis, dementia. Psychiatrists saw schizophrenia, saw bipolar, severe depression, chronic alcoholism. When I entered into private practice in the 1990s, I became much more aware of how stress affects brain function, mood and energy levels. And I developed the Ten Commandments of Stress Management, which was an approach to manage high levels of stress. But parallel to these experiences, I became fascinated in resilience, in how people bounce back from adversity. I became deeply, deeply interested in brain health to the point where I let psychiatry into the background of my career and put brain health with thousands of readings of books and scientific papers observing people, founding out what foods are good for the brain, what are bad for the brain, how exercise and sleep affects brain function. And this is where I am now today. I'm now fully focused and my compass is pointing towards brain health. My aim is to help as many people understand the magic of the brain, how the brain can heal itself how the brain, when in prime condition, can make the ordinary extraordinary. So, welcome once again to the program. I hope you will enjoy reading the short essay that I have written, and the quiz, and the video. Hi, welcome to Lecture 5 of the Building Resilience in the Digital Age. 
I hope you are enjoying the program. Today's lecture is all about investing in your future self. What is great about this program is you don't only get reward immediately, but you'll get it later as well. What do I mean? Let me explain the marshmallow experiment, which we'll discuss in more depth in future lectures. This famous experiment was conducted initially in the 1960s by Professor Walter Michel, a psychologist at Stanford University. What he did was he asked four-year-olds the following. I am going to put a marshmallow on the desk in front of you. At any time, you can press the bell and then you can eat the marshmallow. But if you wait here 15 or 20 minutes and do not press the bell, you will get a reward of a second marshmallow or a cookie or something sweet that the child chose. The results were that one-third of 550 kids waited. Two-thirds did not. The genius of this experiment was that when the kids were 14 years old and 24, and even as some have been followed up into their 40s and early 50s, they showed that on every scale they measured, education status, SAT scores, friendships, issues with discipline, all the kids that waited 20 minutes for a second marshmallow were far better adapted. Amazing. That by waiting 20 minutes for a second marshmallow was a great predictor of the future self and success. This is what this program is about. Investing in your future self by bringing in new ways of lifestyles such as sleep, appetite or food. Welcome to Lecture 6 of the Building Resilience in the Digital Age. We introduce the normal distribution curve which I first learnt about 38 years ago when I was doing medical statistics at university. It's a very simple idea that if you take any group of people and you measure, for example, blood pressure or temperature or IQ or whatever, you'll find that it distributes as a bell-shaped curve. In other words, that many people in the middle will have an average blood pressure or IQ. That's in the middle, the hump. And on the left, you'll have people with very low blood pressure or low IQ, or whatever you're measuring. And on the right, you'll find people who have extremely high blood pressure or very high IQs. What I realized many years ago was a natural law of life. 
that the quality of your life is determined by the quality of your decision making. And your decision making, in turn, is determined by the quality of your brain health. Put another way, psychiatrists deal with brain illness when the brain is not as healthy as it ought to be. This leads to poor decision making, such as in depression, withdrawal, suicidal thinking, giving up easily, and in turn that leads to a much lower quality of life. This has interested me for many, many, many years. How do you improve the quality of individuals' life like yours, or populations within society, in the country, within the world? Put mathematically, how do you shift the average to the right of the curve? And you, how can you shift your curve to the right as well, where on the right, right hand tail, is optimal brain health. Because that's what it's really about, is get your brain healthy. You will make better decisions in the immediate, the short term, and the long term consequences. And to do that, I have found that there are seven ways, what I call adventures in wellness, that will help your brain become as healthy as possible by sleeping better, eating the right foods, exercising, challenging your brains, learning how to manage stress and relaxation, building deep friendships and relationships, and at times being able to withdraw from the hurly-burly of life and just being still and mindful and switching off your screens. That will give you a much more elastic, let me repeat that, an elastic way of thinking where you can absorb information better and also be able to look further into the future to see what the possible consequences of your decisions are. And that all leads to a better quality of life. That might be the single pur purpose of this program. Hi, welcome back to Lecture 7 of Building Resilience in the Digital Age. In the last lecture, we talked about the normal distribution curve. And you can find yourself on that curve relative to your brain health. What I mean. Imagine if we could conduct this thought experiment, and maybe in a few years' time we could actualize it, but we could take anybody, a hundred, a thousand, a million, five billion people, and measure their brain health on a scale of naught through to ten. Naught would be basically brain death, and ten the other side would be perfect brain health. There are people, of course, who have severe brain illness. 
They're probably on life support at a hospital in intensive care unit after a massive stroke or head injury from a car accident or very, very advanced Alzheimer's. Then we can measure people who maybe score one or two. They have, they have severe brain issues. And then, probably in the middle, we have lots of people who are not functioning anywhere near their optimal brain health. And then, closer to 10, those people who do have really good brain health. The distribution curve, I'm convinced, would be placed on this, where the majority of people in the middle, in the hump, would be people with average brain health. They have problems with concentration, attention, with mood, with stress. Then you would have the tail on the left with the severe, and those on the right with really good brain health. The majority in the middle. I have called the three zones the red zone of very poor mental capacity, in the middle the blue zone, and on the right the green zone. So of course the green zone should be where we ought aim for. In psychiatry in particular and medicine in general the idea is that to move people in the red zone, perhaps into the blue zone, because that's probably where the maximum we can get such people, but also those in the blue zone, just into the green zone. And that's where the medical model is based. The medical model is not interested in maximizing brain health, getting you deep into that green zone. Because that is when you are vital, you are alive, you're living a flourishing life. Building resilience, in a sense, is helping you shift through the seven adventures to the right, into the green zone. Because if you are in the green zone, you have far less chance of falling into the blue zone with depression and anxiety. Secondly, you can maximize potential because the deeper you are in the green zone, the better your brain is ticking along. And finally, you can prevent or delay brain illness even though there is problems within the brain. New disease, because we know that Alzheimer's starts about 30 years before the first symptom. And by living in the green zone most of your life, you will prevent the onset of those symptoms. This is a grand idea worth considering. So shifting the curve is really shifting into the depths of the green zone. You will feel alive and thriving and flourishing in your life. You have to do the heavy lifting as well as putting the yards and you will reap the rewards soon and deep, deep into your future life. Welcome back to the Building Resilience 
in the digital age. This lecture, which is about the three zones, actually amplifies the previous lecture, but then shifts into the attitudes that are required to be successful in moving yourself from ordinary to extraordinary into the green zone to be vital and alive. It has been found that people who have deep beliefs and then can focus can dramatically improve their life quality and have the desired outcomes of success. Let me explain. If you have superficial beliefs with the quickest, nearest draft, wind, you'll be knocked over. But if you have deep, deep beliefs, even if they're hurricanes and storms, you will be deeply rooted in those beliefs. And when the storm ends, just like the reed next to the river, you will stand tall, stronger, because your roots are deep. But you also need to focus, because you can't just live in your beliefs. You have to actualize your beliefs and move yourself from where you are to where you can be. This requires an open growth mindset. And that consists of four major components. One is to enjoy the challenge, embrace it, look forward to it. Number two is that with any success comes effort. You really have to grind and have grit because there are times where there are resistance within your own mind or from those around you or you're just having a bad day. There is for sure going to be failures. You're going to make mistakes and how you deal with your mistakes will determine to a long way into the future your success. Failure is just, in Carol Dweck's terms, just not yet. It's one way not to do it. Reflect, learn from it, and move on. And finally, there will be criticism, but there will also be feedback. And some people can manage mistakes, enjoy the challenge, put in the effort, but they cannot take feedback or criticism. And that can be vital information to keep you on track. This is what it's about, these key attitudes. Let me repeat. You need to believe deeply in what you want to do. Can you really build resilience? Can you develop green zone brain health? I believe deeply you can, I can. And so many in the people in the world, by changing their habits of sleep, food, exercise, and so on, to focus, to problem solve, to embrace the challenge, enjoy the effort, 
manage failure and mistakes, and finally be open to feedback. These are the key attitudes that you can develop with time, with patience, and most importantly, with experience. Welcome to the section on adventures in exercise and movement. This is really a fun part of the course because movement and exercise gets your mood up. What we're going to show through links and videos and essays and all kinds of things that there's no doubt that exercise is really good for brain health. In fact, it's proven beyond doubt that to prevent brain degeneration such as Alzheimer's, exercise is the best preventative factor. That is clear. There is no argument. The question really becomes is how motivated are you to get yourself moving? And exercise, I would define as deliberate conscious movement. That is through cycling or yoga or Pilates or mountaineering or rowing. In other words, it's a formal type. You say, I am actually exercising, even though you're moving. However, we do move a lot without actually putting on the right tackies, the footwear, the exercise costumes that so many people wear now to gyms, just by moving around the house, walking up and down the steps, putting the uh, groceries back into the pantry or the fridge, uh, lifting furniture, mopping the floor, making the beds, uh, even standing. If you sit a lot at your computer, even standing for, let's say, 10-15 seconds, having a stretch, exercises different muscles compared to those muscles that are exercised quote-unquote when you're sitting. So it's a good idea to, whenever you can, is to move. You don't have to actually join a gym. I would say that the best form of exercise is brisk walking. I love walking and now I actually walk in nature and every couple of hundred meters I run for about a hundred meters and I can do six or seven of those in one session. So I walk, and then I run, I recover, I walk, I run, I recover. If you can, it's best to exercise outdoors as often as possible so you get the benefit of the sun because that generates vitamin D, which is very important for the development of various chemicals in both the body and the brain. So this section will look at developing your exercise environment that you can seamlessly bring into your FLIP365 resilience prescription. We'll also look deeper into interesting aspects of energy production such as those workhorses in every cell called the mitochondria and we'll also look at types of exercise beyond aerobic, which is what we can call sweat exercises, to strengthening, flexibility, balance and stretching. 
So let's get moving.